morning to all of you. Wow, that's great. You're awake. <laughs> well, it is certainly a privilege for me to be here with all of you today. Uh, Steve and I met way back uh, when we were in the Middle East on a trip that he came on with the International School Project, and God started a lovely relationship there with you and the church. And uh, it's certainly a privilege to be with the people who have prayed for us for so many years, and particularly those of you who have been praying for my wife, she really wanted to be here tonight, or today, and uh, we just had to make a decision based on a procedure she's going to have on Tuesday that she just could not continue with this bronchial cough that she has. And uh, they said, if you're still coughing when you show up on Tuesday, it's off. So we had to make kind of an executive decision that this probably wasn't the best time for her to travel with me to come. And she really wanted to be here. You have been so faithful in your support and your prayers for us that uh, she says, well, I want to go and thank them. But uh, it just wasn't to be this trip. But we'll hopefully make it on one of these days. But Lord has been good. The last procedure she had seems to have knocked down uh, her cancer significantly. And uh, so we're praising the Lord for that. But any of you who know cancer patients and those treatments have a lot of side effects. And so if we can get through some of that, she's going to be really in good health. So uh, thank you again for your continued prayers for us. I just returned from Cuba this week, almost didn't get home, it took me three days to get home instead of one, but I did make it, you know, the weather and... Max nines and everything else just all seemed to crash together and made it impossible for me to get home. But uh, we were just in Cuba and it was amazing to see what God is doing in spite of the horrendous conditions that most of them are living in. But today I want to talk to you and share with you a vision that basically kind of started our ministry, Pace Center Global. And that is, what does it mean to be a spiritual pace setter. Do we really stand out there as a person who says, follow me as I follow Christ? Uh, do we announce that or do we kind of stay closeted? You know, 81% of Americans believe in heaven, according to a one recent survey. But they're not sure what it's really like or if they're sure they're going to get there, even among believers. Well, part of it is we've never been there, right? So it's hard to describe something or some place that you've never been. If you ask me to describe a lot of the countries that I have been in, I can tell you quite a bit about them because I've been there. And many of you have heard missionaries who are from different countries around the world. But unless you've been there, it's, not, it's really hard to say, yeah, I get it. And if a person comes up to you and please describe heaven for me. Uh, well, the Bible says I'm going there. Really? What's it like? Um, I don't know, I'm gonna have to ask them when I get there, because I don't know. 
Well, the Bible is very clear about the fact of our goal in going to heaven and being with Jesus and also, by the way, friends, relatives, and all the rest. It's very clear about what it's like, but we don't really live in anticipation of going there. So as a result, we just kind of hang out here. And we don't really live as if this is a destination. And that's part of our problem. If we don't really know what the destination is really like, how are we going to get excited about letting other people know what that destination is? And we don't live like that's our destination. Some of us bury our tent pegs really deep because we plan on staying here. But the problem is this is not heaven. And most of us are beginning to realize that a lot, aren't we? Uh, you know, you can't watch it. I have to turn it off. I can't watch the news hardly very much anymore. That'll just depress you. And that'll help you lose your perspective of anything and what the future really is. Our future is not in what's going on politically or anything else around the world. The world's a mess. It's not getting better. And if we're not careful, we'll lose our joy if we don't have a perspective. If we don't have a perspective, how are we going to tell others about what really is the goal? That's our issue as believers. So we're calling this message being a spiritual pace setter. And uh, it's not easy. People are looking for hope. They're looking for an example of how to make life work. Sickness, health, anything else. I mean, people are looking, how do you handle it? Remember one of the things that, you know, I've traveled, been traveling on the road most of my ministry. And uh, in fact, my neighbor thinks I was with the CIA. <laughs> I said, no, it's not that glamorous. <laughs> I said, and then, you know, he goes, well, I don't get it. And uh, he says, and you leave your wife here? And you just, he says, I don't get it. So I sat down and told him what it was. Oh, wow, that's really different. He says, I, I, I never would have guessed it. I really thought you were with the CIA. And I said, no. I'm something bigger than that, better than that. I said, because I can tell you about a place that'll give you hope and how to get there. And he, we've lived next door to him for quite a while. We first moved into this, this area, the house that I'm in now for the last almost 28 years. The first time we moved in, the realtor had gone around and said, you gotta be careful the guy that's moving in. <laughs> what? He says, yeah, they told us you were a preacher. <laughs> that's a good way to start out living in a new neighborhood. <laughs> and so that none of them wanted to talk to me. They thought I was uh, the strange thing out here that you had to keep at arm's length until we started to go and reach out to them and say, hi, how are you? And every one of them told me what they were and what they believed before I even asked. <laughs> I said, I, I don't have leprosy. I don't have you know, a communicable disease. I'm a human being. My wife and I, you know, we're just regular people. 
Yeah, we were told you were a preacher. I said, well, yeah, but I said, it's more than that. I said, that's maybe what I do in public in different venues and things, but I'm just Bob, who hopefully can share with you a different perspective, because I'm living out a different perspective. And Paul said it in Philippians, He said, you know, I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. We're different. He says, I'm an example, but not that I am perfect. You know, sometimes people meet a preacher and they think, he must be perfect. (laughs) All of us know that's not true. I said, you know, if you think I'm perfect, let me let you sit down with my wife for a few minutes. And uh, she'll be glad to explain to you how human I am. But it's that we tackle problems. We live life with a different perspective. And where forgiveness is needed, it's granted. Where strength is needed, God gives it. And so being a pace setter in your neighborhood is probably one of the greatest testimonies that you will ever have and that you can give to your neighbors, friends, and relatives. But you have to live it out. That's part of our problem. We don't want to live it out. We don't want people examining us, looking at us. In fact, I I used to, when I was pastoring a church back some time ago, when I got over it, but... um, I talk to our people and say, you know, one of the reasons why we don't witness in our neighborhoods, because they know us. (laughs) We'll go 5,000 miles, share Christ, but we won't go 50 yards to share because they observe us, they see us. So my goal has always been to say, let them observe us, let them see us in our weakest moments and in our proudest moments. Let us see how we handle all of that. And sometimes it's harder to handle being who we are when things are going great. Because we then tend to slack off and God's now back on the shelf because everything's going great. Instead of letting them see how we handle success in the right way, with the right priorities. When things are going wonderful. Then things start going bad. You know, we always think in sickness and health and all those things, we made those marriage vows. You remember that? Some of you are thinking, whoa, that was a long time ago. I know uh, by the grace of God, my wife and I are going to celebrate 50 years here in a couple of months. I know I don't look that old. Well, my hairdo probably gives that away, but... uh, by the grace of God, that we got to 50. In fact, this time last year, I didn't think we were gonna make it. Because I really thought my wife was on her way to heaven. But through the doctors and the grace of God, it's been an amazing transformation in the last few months. And your prayers, by the way. But people look and say, how did you do it? I was just like any other married couple. We had our struggles, we had our ups and our downs, but the grace of God gave us the perspective to be able to live with one another in harmony. 
And our perspective is that this is only a preparation for where we're gonna spend eternity. See, are you looking at life as a preparation for eternity? Somebody asked Josh McDowell some time ago, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know, what is your purpose in heaven? What is your purpose in life and goal on earth? And he said, to go to heaven and take as many people with me as I can. Now, some of you say, I'm not blessed with the gift of preaching. I wasn't either. You say, ah, you've been doing it for 50 years. What, what in the world? He said, no, I didn't start out this way. You gotta, I, I skipped school for a week to gotta get out of giving a five-minute speech. Because <laughs> I was afraid I was gonna say something really stupid or stutter or forget. So I never wanted to give that speech. The school called my parents one day and said, where's your son, is he sick? No, he's been in school. Uh, no, he hasn't. That's from the days when you walked to school. Didn't drop you off, you walked to school and I just got lost going to school. <laughs> Had a great time. Finally, my parents, what, what did you do in school today? Uh, uh, school called, you weren't in class. Well, and they finally figured it out. I was scared to death because I didn't want people staring at me. And you're all looking at me. <laughs> but that is who we are as Christians. People are looking for answers. They're looking for ways to approach life that gives it meaning. And if there's anybody on this planet that should have a perspective and a meaning to life, it would be who? Us. They want it desperately because they know the answers aren't there politically. They're not there sometimes in our churches. Sometimes they're not there any place else except you, because you are the one they see. Well, what do they see? What do they see? And that, that's the hard part. Sometimes we're told that we're in a race and our goal is about, not about us, but it's about the fact that other people are looking at us. How do we live in the times? What's our perspective? Do we lead the race? Do we say, look, follow me as I follow Christ, as Paul said in Philippians. Come on, come with me, follow me. Not that I'm already perfect, but I am still pressing towards the goal of being like Christ. <clears throat> I haven't gotten there. I have not gotten there. And every once in a while, circumstances happen that show me how far I haven't come. When, the, when COVID hit, for some reason, my post office box got locked. And I was gone. And when I came back, I had no mail because I couldn't get at it. My post office box was locked. And this was during COVID, so things were just kind of screwy anyway. So I went to the desk and she said, yeah, we locked it because you didn't pay your bill. No, that's not true. And I was really angry. I said, you know, I've got 
all kinds of stuff in there, sport checks and all of these things. And I said, you lock that because you get a, I said, I never got a bill. Well, we didn't give bills this year. (laughs) What? And I just kind of lost it. I said, how many people did you do? All of them. And she was proud of that. You just didn't, you guys just didn't pay your bills. I'm going, oh, the post office is not the high on my list. But so I kind of lost it a little bit and ended up having to go back and apologize. <laughs> said, I'm sorry. I said, but that's just so frustrating. Why didn't you, we didn't have the personnel to put the bills in the box. And so I had to pay this thing and get it all, new keys and all of this. And they luckily had not sent the mail back. They had put it in a shelf somewhere. I was able to get it, but I said, you know, it's a little thing. She said, you should have known. I said, well, (laughs) everything was, I said, I didn't know that it was already expired. Well, you should have known. That really made me kind of. But you know what, I'm human, and sometimes those little things just creep in. But there's, there's a remedy for those things, is going back and asking forgiveness. It wasn't easy, I had to swallow my pride, say, I was wrong, I didn't respond right. But that's what the world is looking for, not perfection. They're looking for people who are progressing. And we're progressing towards the goal of the high calling of God. And life is not a sprint. Have you noticed that? We're all still here right now. That means we're still in it for the long haul. It'd be nice if God would just save us and spring us out. Beam me up, Scotty, or something. You know? Uh, That dates me, doesn't it? (laughs) Some of you are going to be, what's that? In case you don't know, just go back and look at an old Star Trek. But yeah, just get me out of here. It would be so much simpler. But I don't know to anybody that's happened to. No, God says, I got you here for a purpose, and that is to be what? An example for those who need to know what heaven is like and how to get there. Not from perfect people, but from imperfect people who have a perspective of life that nobody else has. Because the answers we have in scripture. We are in a testament read by all men according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. The people can ask the reason of the hope that's in you. Do you sit in a situation where people are asking the reason why you respond to life the way you do? And that, you know, we're not normally like this. We're normally, we are like this because of who Christ is in us. Gives us a different perspective. My neighbor found out that we were dealing with cancer with my wife. He said, that's just wrong. I said, why? We're human beings. We're susceptible to disease and sickness, just like you. Why should we be different? 
well, you're, you're kind of one of God's people. I said, yes, that's true. I'm a believer. I'm a Christ follower. And I know where my hope lies. I said, you know, I love the doctors we have. They've been some of the greatest doctors and have been some of the greatest ministers of health that have been around. But I said, you know, the master healer is not our doctors. And even the doctor admitted, he said, you know, I don't even know how come your wife is still here, except that he still wants us to treat her. This is smart guy, smart people who really know medicine. And I praise God for them. God used them as part of the healing process. He says, I, I, he said, the perspective you guys have is what's keeping her alive. I said, what do you mean? He said, you guys look at life differently. And what he couldn't believe, one of the things, you can minister to doctors in the midst of really serious health problems because we would tell the doctor every time, well, you know, we thank God for you because he put you in our lives and in this hospital to be able to minister to us physically, but we believe God's the master healer. So thank you for being part of God's answer. And when she was so deathly ill with all the procedures that she was doing, I mean, they were just miserable and she was miserable, but she never let get an opportunity to minister to the doctors. And so, you know that big whiteboard they have in some of those rooms and the doctors write notes and all that stuff on? She would get up every morning or have the nurse get because she wouldn't let her out of bed. The nurse would have to help her out because she had to bring the bell and they never come, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and she would get on that whiteboard and she would write a word for the day for the doctor. And then she would put a scripture verse on there and then hightail it back to bed. <laughs> and even the nurse had to hold her up a couple of times. She said, I'm gonna do this. The nurse said, you're gonna write another verse, aren't you? Yeah. And you know what the doctors did when they came into the room after a while? They didn't look at her, they went to the board. What's the note? What's the word for today? Because he said, you bring joy to our lives because you give us a different perspective. Instead of complaining to us, and she was miserable, you tried to minister to us. And I tell you what, that's all credit to her, not me. <laughs> I'm not sure I could have that kind of joy what she went through. And I'm glad God hadn't called me to that. But she saw it as an opportunity to minister to the doctors and the nurses that would come in. And she was so miserable and going through some really bad adverse reactions. She saw it as an opportunity to stand up and say, I have a reason for being here. I know what I'm about and I wanna make sure you know. Those are the things that we can do when we minister out of our lives, no matter how hard it is. Paul said that his goal in life was to know him. My goal is to know Christ. And the word there, know, is really a gnosko, which means to be intimate with Christ. Like a husband and wife relationship. I mean, I know a lot of people, but I don't know them like I know my wife. 
an intimacy. See, a lot of times what we do in life is we minister knowing about God, but our intimate relationship with him really doesn't run that deep. And so if it doesn't run deep, it's hard to explain to others when things aren't going so well. We know God, yeah, I've met some actors and I've met some singers because my granddaughter works in Nashville. I met them, I, I know them, I've just met them, but I don't really know them. So I couldn't really tell you about them. I can tell you about my wife. I can tell you about Jesus who ministers to me because my goal is to minister out of my knowledge of him. So that's why he asks us to pursue that relationship with him first. Because that is preeminent for the believer to know him, to be near him. And so he says, What's, you know, remember when the Pharisees got together and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? They were really trying to mess with him. And what they didn't realize who they were messing with. He said, Well, the greatest commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart all thy soul, all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, but the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So what was he saying? You'll love your neighbor out of your relationship, heart, soul, and mind with Jesus. It's out of that relationship that we minister to others because we're intimate with him. Is that how we approach life? Say, I want you to know who this Jesus is that makes it so acceptable to live in this life. You know, if I didn't know Jesus, I'm not sure I'd be uh, real thrilled about life. And I talk to people all the time, say, this is a mess. I don't know what the answer is. And I said, there are no answers except in Jesus. That's the only thing that gives me hope. It's the only thing that can give me joy. Because there's no joy in looking at the news. There's no joy in the political system. There's no joy in all these things we put our hope and trust in a lot of times. Because we're just set up for failure. We're set up for disappointment. So Jesus said, Paul said to him, follow me as I follow Christ. And there doesn't have to be any fear. Matthew 28, hey, go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. Make disciples. And lo, I am what? With you what? Always. Man. Remember, this was the greatest fear of the disciples. The resurrection of Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus walking around, he's trying to teach them, hey, you're on your own. I'll be with you, but you're on your own. You gotta go down and do it. And they wanted to have a holy huddle. Remember? They were in Jerusalem in the room just kind of sitting around together going, now what do we do? Jesus is splitting. He's taking off. He's told us this. He warned us. How are we gonna make this work? And Jesus says, look, I told you. You're gonna see greater and do greater things than me. How can that be possible? Because I am going to be with you. 
So then I better start studying, right? Better know who Jesus is. If we're gonna represent Jesus, be the ambassadors of Christ, we better know who we're out there representing. How do we do that? We have to be intimate. We have to be intimate. Fear not, for I am with you always. What you teach, you have learned from me. How could Jesus take these 12 failing men and make them conquerors of the world and faith? Because it was not on their own strength, it was not by their own wisdom, but it was the result of having been present with Jesus. And out of that, they could minister to the world. They could stand in a world that was in absolute chaos. You think our world's in chaos? Go back to the times of Jesus and the disciples. It was not healthy to be a believer. It would cost you your life to name the name of Christ. To be baptized and people identify you with that Jesus movement. It could cost you your life. And it did, the disciples, every one of them, except one, was persecuted and martyred because they dared the name of Christ. So you think it's hard to be Christian today? Just go back to the times of the disciples and Jesus. It was not a healthy place, an environment, to stand up and name the name of the resurrected Christ. Because remember, the world thought they had been rid of them. And for them to say, Jesus is risen, he lives. Oh, that was not a healthy situation. And they went to the uttermost parts of the world and it revolutionized parts of the world. And it hasn't stopped. It's still going. And God's still calling a lot of us to go do a lot of different things. But sometimes it's just going 50 feet to your neighbor. God's just not impressed with our mileage cards on an airline. He's not impressed with any of that. Or how much money we invest in missions, which I am grateful for. And you should be, you know, hey, we're doing the best we can. We're giving and we're doing and we're ministering. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to get as many people to heaven as we can. And all of us have that responsibility. We have that before us. Think of the paradigm shift the disciples had to go through. Recognizing that their citizenship was in heaven, it wasn't on earth. Remember, they were still looking at Jesus to raise up the what? The kingdom. You're gonna be king and we wanna be part of it. Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not the ultimate goal right now. We'll get there, but that's not it now. We're here to change the world even if it's one person at a time or a dozen people at a time. But we're here to make a difference in the world for heaven. We have to become kingdom-minded, not earthly-minded. Like I said earlier, burying those tent pegs deep because we plan on sticking around. 
I can remember when I finally surrendered to the ministry, whatever that was gonna be. I grew up in a church that was very, very sound. And had great missionaries and a lot of times my parents would even have them into the house for dinner. And I remember those stories, we had a guy called on Amazon Bill. And they would always have him come to our house for dinner and he'd tell these stories of snakes and all kinds of great stuff. And I'm going, wow, that's something I want to do. And, but we'd have these missionaries, you know, I think, yeah, that's just not, just not me. Maybe for somebody, but not for me. If you can do something else, do it. And I used to see what happened, you know, these, we used to have mission barrels where people put stuff in there to give to missionaries. And I looked in those and I went, mm-mm. <laughs> Not a chance I'm gonna live out of one of those things. And then I was always afraid God would call me to the uttermost remote places in Africa wearing nothing but Bermuda shorts and a pith helmet. And so I said, nah, just not me. I'll watch it in the movies, but I don't need that for me. So I went on my merry way, doing the things that I wanted to do. Until one one day God said, no, you're done with that. It's time. And through a series of circumstances, it made it very, very clear I was going the wrong direction with my life because it was not eternally minded, it was earthly minded. I want to be successful, I want to do these things. I see the goal in front of me very clearly. And God says, no, that is not your goal. Now there's nothing wrong with being successful in business. There's nothing wrong with all those other things if God's called you to that. But you better make it your platform of ministry. God has given every one of us a platform for ministry, to minister to those that are in our jobs, in our sphere of influence. Uh, my son, a professional athlete, he was a baseball player. And one of the things that we prayed about and talked about the day he got on an airplane for his first time in his rookie season, we dropped him off. He had just graduated from high school, was a high draft pick, and went out, I just, we prayed, and I said, Mike, what's your goal? And he said, well, number one, I need to represent Christ however I best I can. He said, I don't know what that's gonna mean. I said, well, don't compromise that, start the first day. I said, you have practiced hard and long, you've worked towards this goal, God has granted it to you, Now make sure you represent him. And he did, it was amazing. He said, I just did it the first day. People asked me what I was about and I just told them. And they all kind of went, really? Another one of those. And they gave him a hard time about it. But you know, when you're six, seven, 270 pounds, people tend to at least give you the benefit of the doubt. He said, he said, one day, he says, I just came in, somebody around me, put my foot on the bench, looked at everybody and says, here's what I'm about, this is who I am and this is why I do it and why I don't. Anybody got any questions? You know who the first person that called when they were in trouble? 
him. Why? Because we represent something that's different no matter what we're doing, no matter where we're at. Humility is one of the most difficult things for us to demonstrate. Because all of us want to succeed, but doing it in humility is hard. The disciples had a hard time with that. Think about it. They always had this reasoning among them, who should be the greatest, right? I'm closer to Jesus than you are, Uh uh-uh, I am. I sit next to him at dinner, where do you sit? I handle all the money, What, what, what do you do? You're just a stinking fisherman. Maggie says, yeah, but I handle the money. There was always this competitiveness. That's sometimes the thing that really hurts us most in Christianity. There's this competitiveness that I am more successful than you in my spiritual walk and journey. That's the first step to a fall. God has called us all to different avenues of ministry. We gotta take advantage of that. I couldn't reach a baseball player if I wanted to, but my son could. Because that's not the realm I operate in. That was his realm. And he had a great ministry to ballplayers who would call him and say, you know, we're struggling. And when he got married in the midst of his career, call his wife. Some of the wives would call and say, we need help, we're struggling. How do you handle this? They wouldn't call me. Now, I've had other people in ministry call me and reached out. I've had my neighbors reach out to me, taking a while, but now they're all saying, yep, struggling with cancer next door. That, can I pray for you? He's, he's a nothing. I mean, he didn't want God to do, but can I at least pray for you? Will you let me pray for you? Oh, thank you. Another neighbor, horrible heart problems. I'm going to have major hope and heart surgery. Can I pray for you? Will you let me do that? He didn't want to talk about Jesus, but yes, you can pray for me. I know your prayers get answered. Got a neighbor next door who, bless his heart, he's as crusty as they come. (laughs) Neat guy, though. I mean, he'd give you the shirt off your back. And he said, I want you to know that if you ever need an airport run, if you ever need something, Call me first. And for the last two times, he's come to the airport and get me. And even with all the cancellations and late at night or early morning, he says, I'll be there. Just tell me when. Why? Because the relationships you continue to build. He comes over and he says, can you pray for my daughter? She's really struggling. She lives up not too far from here. He said, I just, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do can pray. So he prayed and he said, do you have any books I can give her? Do you have any hope you can give me to help her? And so we've sat down and we've talked and we've had discussions. He's finally going to a little church uh, not too far from our neighborhood. He says, Shadow Mountain's too big for me. I, I tend there when I'm home. But he said, I just want a small community. And he's starting to grow. He's starting to change. You see, it's our influence in their lives that will make an impact in their lives. And we want to make an impact, all of us do. And it doesn't have to be 5,000 miles away. And he said in Philippians 4, 9, 
He meditated in his word day and night. Psalms 4.9. And it says what? Its roots went down deep because it was planted by the river's water. It took its nourishment from the study of the word and meditating on it, and he bore what? Fruit. That's what we do. We're called to bear fruit. Whose fruit? Jesus' fruit. Not Bob fruit, not Steve fruit. It's fruit of Jesus because that's the everlasting fruit. That's the fruit that remains. That's the fruit that will last. And we take as many of that, took as much of that fruit to heaven with us as we can. And then you know what the ultimate goal is, is heaven. Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful, what? Boy, do I want to hear that. My goal isn't to get the prize that's corruptible, but the incorruptible prize of staying in fellowship with Jesus and having that fellowship for eternity. And I'm really looking forward to it. My dad passed away in the last couple of months, I mean, a couple of years, 24 months. My dad passed at 96. Fruitful life, a fruit-bearing life, who neighbors always wanted to know from him, why is your family so stable? Why is your family always having fun together? Why are they always doing this? And I had a neighbor that took all my baseballs and basketballs and went over the fence. Never gave them back. And he'd yell at me if one came in the yard, I'm keeping it. He was a painting contractor. My dad was painting the house. And he'd look over the fence and say, you're doing it wrong. So my dad says, well, come over here and show me. He did. Big mistake. I heard him sitting out on the patio one day. My dad was sharing the Bible with him and led him to Christ. A guy that was as cantankerous as you can believe. And within three hours, he brought all my balls and basketballs back. (laughs) And not only that, he hired me the next summer to do painting with him. I'm looking forward to seeing him again in heaven. But because of the ministry of my dad to his life, my dad was anything from being a preacher, far from it. He was not a speaker, he was not eloquent. He was a contract, he, you know, he just worked as a carpenter. A car. But when the opportunity showed itself, and living out like, because Leslie's just saying, we don't get you guys. I had a neighbor down the street came to him one day. We're getting ready to move, but I just want you to know, we have watched your family every Sunday go to church. We've watched you and have people come and go and we see them and we see how you respond to everybody. We just want you to know we decided to check it out and we just became Christians. Not because we were preachers and we just were eloquently convinced. We were convinced because of the life. Being a spiritual pace setter is living out, fleshing out, going out in front and saying, follow me as I followed Jesus. Not that I'm perfect, but I am committed to being what Jesus wants me to be. 
You have finished your race when you stand before God. And I'm looking forward to seeing my father, my mother, and so many friends that already have gone on for various reasons. And greet them in heaven and say with them, I'm glad to be here in the presence of Jesus with you all. I don't know who all is gonna be there. I have not met a lot. The hosts of heaven are gonna be amazing. But because of the ministry of a lot of people to other people's lives, it's not one person. Man, thank the Lord it's not due to one person. It wasn't due to just 12 disciples. They reproduced in the lives of others. We need to be about the business of representing Jesus. We just ask God for those opportunities because that's the prize, being in presence of Jesus. Billy Graham couldn't reach the world. He did a lot, but he didn't reach the world. There's a lot of great preachers that are doing great work, but it doesn't substitute for being a neighbor. Loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving God with all your heart, and then loving your neighbor as your relationship with God continues to, to deepen. Be a spiritual pace setter. Your neighbors need it. Your community needs it. Our nation needs it. And the kingdom of God wants it. He wants to use you more than you want to be used. And if he can take a kid who's afraid to give a five-minute speech, turn into a person who's gone all over the world, I mean, I'm still amazed. I am humbled. Well, he can do the same with you. He wants it. You just have to say, I surrender to it. I invite you to do that. Be the face sitter that God wants you to be. Reach the world. Share your hope. You'd be surprised what will happen. We don't have to fear because God is not the author of fear. He's the author of strength. And you have more strength in him than you'll ever realize until you say, I surrender to it. God bless you. Thank you all again. You have a wonderful week. Ask God to give you opportunities this week to be his ambassador. It may be just a little thing. It could be a big thing, but say, God, give me an opportunity this week to represent you. Say a word, say a prayer with somebody that needs to be ministered to and make yourself real in their lives through me. God bless you. Amen.